Hello everyone, welcome to You Know I. My name is Melody and I haven't released an episode in two weeks, but here we are. I'm back on the horse. I was trying to be consistent and release an episode every week on a Monday um, and I was just interviewing my friends, but I ran out of friends to interview and I kind of let my imposter syndrome get the better of me because while this whole thing is scary, I'm scared to do this find guests and talk about ideas that I don't really know a lot about and put it out there into the world. But here we are. And I've got a pretty exciting lineup of guests coming on the show over the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited. I'm also going to be introducing video podcasts on YouTube, which has been a task in itself, learning how to remote record and edit. And yeah, it's been a big learning curve for me. Um, So stay tuned for that in the next coming weeks. But without further ado, my guest today is Chung Wen. He's got his own podcast called Unlicensed Philosophy. And in this conversation, we delve into conservatism, what that means. We talk about why, why some people in the West identify as Marxists. We also talk about gay marriage. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Here it is. Chung Wen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, so we've met through, you've made, you have your own podcast, Unlicensed Philosophy. Can you tell me how did you get started with that podcast and where did the name come from? Um, the first name of it is uh, called Musically Speaking because at that time I was more inclined to talk about music. I still do, but uh, over time the show has you know, has broadened its range of interests, and myself also, and it includes uh, philosophy and politics, and basically socio-cultural commentary. So I find it apt to change the name, and the name change was fairly recent; it's like two months ago. And what gave you the inspiration to want to start a podcast? Um, I like talking to people, and uh, however it. Every region that I happen to to be in, there are not too many interesting people to talk to. How do you go about sourcing the guests for your podcast? Chances are I listen to a lot of, po- of podcasts. And uh, if I find some of the guests in that particular podcast interesting, I, I would find a way to reach out to them, mostly via email. And you know, uh, a good ch- there's a good chance that they will respond. Um, at first, it was... Um, it was a hard time finding people to talk to, but nowadays I think um, I guess people are somewhat familiar with my show and um, all that, so I don't have to worry about finding guests. Amazing, yeah, you're up to episode 134, I believe. Well, uh, recently uh, 135. Nice. Okay, um, I'm interested in some of your political beliefs. You've explained to me that you're a conservative or you lean more conservative. Would you be able to explain to me in your own words what that what that means? I guess in the Anglo-American sense, um, being conservative means a fusion of being a libertarian or a classical liberal and a traditionalist in that you care about preserving the classical liberal political philosophy that was handed out to us by um, 
Thomas Hobbes, uh, John Locke, and John Stuart Mill, all these people. But at the same time, you have to be cognizant of the foundations of what we call Western civilization. And that uh, entails the Greco-Roman heritage as well as the Judeo-Christian heritage, as well as the conflicts that both of those traditions uh, can have because there are different there are different ways of viewing the world as well as humanity's place in it. So in in your view a conservative is somewhat of a classical liberal. I believe that's what the modern conservative movement founded by uh, William F Buckley Jr uh, was based upon. I know that nowadays there are a host of uh, really thoughtful people who have suggested that um conservatism should not be misconstrued for classical liberalism. Um, so they are more traditionalist-oriented. Say, Yoram Hazoni, who written an entire book um, titled Conservatism, A Rediscovery, in which he argues such a point. So where whereabouts did you grow up, Chong? And where are you? You're currently living in Austria. But where, like, where, where have you lived in Western, in, in the Western world? Oh, Canada. So you've or, or always voted for, say, the conservative government over there? Well, I'm, I'm a um, foreign resident, so I was not allowed to vote. But if oh, okay, I do okay, have okay. a chance, I would rather, yeah, I'd rather vote for the Tories. Okay. And would you say there's a difference between being a social conservative and a political conservative and a social liberal and a political liberal. My understanding is they have, um, like, one is mainly cared about policy and the other is mainly cares about culture. Yeah, that's a quite an interesting question. Um, I think there are certain differences, although although the political and the social conservatives would, you know, would be in the same crowd and the political and social liberal would be in the same crowd. Uh, I'm sure that there are internal uh, internal differences among the two. Like I just mentioned, how you know Joram Hazoni, who's uh, more or less a social conservative, disagrees with the political conservative, i.e., the classical liberals. But um, I understand that uh, in the liberal camp there are such disagreements too. But perhaps someone who is of the center-left liberal political persuasion should answer it more better than I do. Yeah, right. And um, these political positions, while they're on a a spectrum, something like being a conservative is also a spectrum in and of itself, right? Yes, yes. Um, Actually, there are. You should read this wonderful book by um, Matthew Continetti called "The Right: uh, The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism," and I'm I was very honored to have him on as a guest on my podcast, and we talk about that book too. he argues that um, conservatism does not is not like a monolithic term, and you can understand why the I guess the divisions um, among the conservatives during the Trump uh, presidency by uh, being attentive to the fact that being conservative means different things to different people. For example, you have the religious conservatives who who are you know who who tolerate but do not um i guess advocate for classical liberalism they would prefer a larger space for religion in public life and you have um you have the 
neoconservatives who are more foreign policy based, and they would argue that um, the U.S. of A. should um, should spread its values across the world. Um, and you have the reaction to the neoconservatives, aka the paleo conservatives, who argue for a much more restrained American American foreign policy. And the biggest representative amongst them is uh, Patrick uh, Buchanan. And I certainly believe that Buchanan paved the way for Donald Trump to be the president. What do you what do you think about Donald Trump as a president? As a human being, he is awful and he should just stay hosting The Apprentice. But as a president, uh, there are a number of his policies in which um, many uh, many in the conservative world would agree upon. So if you look at the policy perspective alone, then he is a true blue conservative. But when you add in the personality and the conspiracy theorizing and such, um, you know, he is a bona fide demagogue. Yeah, that's what a lot of people from my side of the world, I'm in Australia and New Zealand at the moment, saw. They just saw this disgusting man. I mean, the way he conducts himself is more or less kind of gross, but I did wonder about policy because when I've been to America and I've met Trump voters, they they talk about policy and how he made petrol much cheaper. And so what were, what were some of the good beneficial policies that he implemented? I think uh, my, uh, my two biggest areas of concern policy-wise are economic and foreign policy. So I guess I'll narrow myself down to that. Um, economically, he basically follows the model of supply side that um, you know that was debuted during the Reagan era, which is cutting taxes to uh, to high co- income earners so that they they are incentivized to produce more and to um, to contribute their taxes to the 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 national government rather than keeping their income offshore. And in terms of foreign policy, he presents a much more conservative version of internationalism. Uh, after the, um, I guess, what, what do you call it, like unrestrained version of liberal internationalism uh, of Bush forty three and the overly restrained um, version of uh, Barack Obama. Are you able to just quickly explain, like, what um, you mean by foreign policy? Well, it is defined as how a nation state conceives of the world outside of it. A lot of people think conservatives, they just want to keep the rich rich and the poor poor. What do you think of that notion? Is it is there any truth to it or is it a oversimplification or not true at all? If you are an, a conservative in the Anglo-American sense, um, you believe that everybody has an equal chance of participating in the economy. Because of that, um, the virtue in which um, conservatives often um, invoke is um, industry and um, I guess, uh, self-madeness. I'm reading this uh, great book here called Coming Apart by Charles Murray, in which he argues that um, industry or the idea of making something out of yourself is part of the American founding ethos. And for that, we are against uh, certain viewpoints that 
you know, the scales are tipped in favor of those who are already rich and against those who are already poor. And while I understand that um, the um, wealth brings you a lot of power and you, know, you create a power imbalance between yourself and those of lower income than you, it does not mean that you as a wealthy person will stay wealthy forever and those of the lower income bracket will stay in that bracket forever. One of the very misleading statistics that um, I believe it was Thomas Sowell who pointed this out to me, that you know you say that the richest one percent owns uh, this much of uh, wealth and such, mm-hmm. but if you look at it closely, there is no evidence pointing to the fact that it's, it's the same rich one percent. So that number of one uh, percent. Uh, consists of different people at different times, and that that simplified statistic, so to speak, failed to mention the fact that um, many of the poorest uh, have, over the years, become uh, landed at the middle class, and the bottom twenty or of income earners are filled with different people than uh, than it was, say, ten, twenty years ago. Okay, so and my understanding is conservatives promote a more capitalist society, but a lot of people believe, yeah, people in the lower class aren't able to move up and and get out of their situation through the system that conservatives promote. I guess um, conservatives uh, do disagree on the value of the uh, free market and free trade, actually. Um, there is a school of conservatism that believes that um, Free trade is harmful because it outsources uh, labor that was supposed to be filled by American jobs, and they just push it to um, uh, outside countries like, say, China for the cheaper labor. But then you also foster um, bad labor practices. Um, but nevertheless, when you look at, say, the forefather of capitalist economics, um, Adam Smith, um, you have to look at him through both of his uh, greatest works. When it comes to Adam Smith, people just says he wrote The Wealth of Nation, which is the defense of capitalism, the free market, and you know self-interest for the greater good and such. But he also wrote another work called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, in which he believes that you know in there, in order for a system of um, free market to work, so to speak, uh, a large part of the population must be must have a moral fiber or moral compass. Um, if not, then you know, the the unscrupulous folks will be free to scam other people who are who do not know any better. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the workers, he. He certainly believes in the, I guess, a version of a labor theory of value that supposes that um, uh, uh, natural resources, when when uh, applied with uh, human labor, becomes property. And therefore, he defends the right to property for everybody. And he believes that it is the cornerstone of your freedoms. A lot of young people are 
saying things, starting to identify as Marxist or say things like we need to dismantle the capitalist system. Why do you think that is? I believe it is because, um, I mean, there are certain external factors in the um, um, recession of 2008. There are also the belief that the um, system of free markets that have benefited their parents and their grandparents have not benefited them as such. You hear statistics about people who, uh, you know, at the age of their, at the same age, uh, at the same age, their parents have, say, owned a house or made a family. And you hear how today people don't have families anymore. They don't even have houses of their own. Um, so they believe that is due to, um, I guess, uh, unfettered capitalism. And they believe you know the the marxist communist way is but i guess um what they are missing is that is that their the free market is an instrument of uh, poverty reduction practically the best in the world is lifted millions of people out of poverty and it is the cornerstone of um other freedoms that follow the ones that they are enjoying and that um if applied, if the Marxist theory is applied, then um, they their environment would be in a much worse shape. Because um, as much as Marxist vision is inspiring and compelling, and whatnot, um, it has been executed in various failed states, um, some of which are still, you know, uh, are still trying it. Uh, for example, the People's Republic of China and my own country of origin, which is Vietnam. Um, so Vietnam today is still socialist or communist? No, the official name is the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. The ruling uh, okay. party is the Communist Party. So the country operates under a communist economic system? Well, it's mm, we're using the China, China model, which is mm -hmm. uh, allowing some form of free market uh, in the country, but nevertheless, some of the biggest uh, industries are still nationalized. Okay, great. Uh, okay, let's go back to you as a conservative. There's another. There's another notion where people think conservatives want to control everyone else. They that they don't want other people to have rights. They don't want a woman to have abortion rights, gay people to get married. Like they want to uphold their own sort of traditional life, but they want to impose it on everyone else. What would you say to that? So this is funny because I, I just got off a uh, conversation with a professor um, from um, Eureka College, which is uh, incidentally uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, alma mater. Um, and we were talking about the notion of rights um, and how the um, founders of the American Republic would define it um, and versus um, the way that Franklin Delano Roosevelt would define it. You see, um, one of Roosevelt's most famous speech, uh, in in it, he he proposes a second Bill of Rights, the one that you know to amend the the Bill of Rights that the founders already had, plus uh, the amendments uh, that were born out of uh, the Civil War and Reconstruction and all that, in which he argues that certain rights should be amended the um, right to decent housing and fair wages and um, medical care and adequate food and such. So um, the way I see it, um, the objections to 
conservatives is, uh, I guess, uh, restriction of certain rights is merely or mainly uh, different views of uh, what are rights clashing. Um, so the conservative, I guess, uh, view of rights is that these are the things that the state should not intrude upon. So the right to free speech is um, the right of the government not to restrict or abridge any form of speech or assembly that an individual does. Um, the right to uh, private property means that the state cannot uh, appropriate your your house, your car, or whatever without your consent. Um, nevertheless, um, the I guess the modern liberal view and the I guess those who, particularly those who believe that uh, abortion should be a right, are you know share share a different conception of rights, and that is they believe that rights are the the things that the state provides and not a higher authority than the state. And the state is conceived to uh, meet these needs of uh, everybody, especially the downtrodden. Um, so these rights are, I guess, added in the Franklin Delano Roosevelt tradition uh, to be things that the state uh, is obligated to do to protect uh, individuals from, say, poverty and you know um, and want and all that. So we have a clash of what rights are. Okay, so say if a woman wants to get an abortion and a someone on the conservative feels like she shouldn't have the right to get an abortion, is you saying that's a, a different view of rights? Because m- my understanding is that backtracks on what you said. Like the state is telling her she is not allowed to do that. Isn't that sort of impinging on her freedom? I guess that goes into the different conception of rights. Um, so a um, a woman directly uh, who wishes to appeal to the right to have an abortion um, is appealing to the fact that um, she, as a sovereign being, uh, is allowed to do whichever she wants with her body. And, you know, it's a state who is preventing her from doing that. But on the conservative side, we would argue that, well, one of the fundamental rights is the right to life. And we believe that the the growing fetus is a human being. Mm-hmm. And so by engaging in this procedure, you're taking away a human life. And we find that objectionable. Okay. What about a policy like gay marriage? What is the What's the difference there between a conservative and a liberal I believe it was Prime Minister David Cameron of England. And so Prime Minister David Cameron, when he signed into law you know, the legalization of um, gay marriage in England, um, he says that I'm not co-signing uh, gay marriage because, uh, sorry, despite being conservative, I do so because I'm a conservative. So there's certainly a, I guess, a conservative case for gay marriage. Um, it was first made by that brilliant American, British American journalist and uh, commentator Andrew Sullivan. But um, if I were to um, strong man or steel man, sorry, the I guess the objectors, the conservative objectors to gay marriage, is that 
um, say, you know, again, I'm not sharing the belief that, you know, um, uh, a marriage should be solely heterosexual. So I'm, I'm kind of taking it for granted that it is, um, is all right for gay people to marry. Um, but the opposite view would state that what is the purpose of marriage? Um, and, uh, and they would answer it to be, it is to, um, procreate, to make children and to continue the human species as such. And because a gay couple, um, unless using external technologies, cannot naturally conceive of a, a child, um, that is not considered marriage, so to speak, because it violates the defined purpose of, of marriage. So how did you, how did you change your view? Um, um, it's simple. I never do. I, I just, I've, I've constant, I've hold my beliefs constant that I guess it's okay for gay people to marry. And <laughs> it doesn't mean that, um, it doesn't mean that I guess, uh, as many conservatives would fear that, you know, they would redefine marriage to, you know, expand it to say man versus beast and man versus him or herself and mm. whatnot. Um, it, as Andrew Sullivan would say, the expanding the right of marriage to gays and lesbians actually solidifies the definition of marriage and it strengthens the institution of marriage. It helps both the, I guess, the straight population in seeing that, hey, gay people are capable and willing to commit to a long-term partnership. And it helps um, gay people and lesbians in uh, in that they have an, a solid institution in order to engage in a committed long-term partnership. For, you see, um, before, before gay gay marriage was um, made into law, there were a lot of, uh, what you call it, casual, um, I guess, sex between, um, I guess, the, the population, especially gays. I mean, you have the term, right? Um, what's it? Um, not not swinging, but cruising, right? Cruising <laughs> it just refers to random hookups. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's the title of the um, Al Pacino movie, right? Interesting. Okay, so just so just because you're a conservative doesn't mean you hold all the well-known conservative beliefs. That's good to know, I guess. And it's interesting how you say, yeah, how you can differentiate between different types of conservatives. Um, I want to bring it back to your podcast before we wrap up. What what's next for you for the podcast, and how long do you think you'll you'll be doing it for? I guess. Um until I get tired of it. So there's no <laughs> definite ending to it. Yeah. I'll be interviewing more people who I believe to be thoughtful thinkers. Uh, it, they do not have to be conservative. They can be liberals and libertarians. So if people want to find you, where should they go? Um, I guess they can uh, follow me on the um, the Substack link, which uh, I'll send it to you. Uh, I mean, it still goes under musicallyspeaking.substack.com. <laughs> Yes, the, apparently the domain cannot be changed. And I guess Spotify would be another podcast outlet along with other uh, usual sources um, in which you can find podcasts. I'll be sure to link all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today, Chong. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was Chung Wen. He's got his 
own podcast called Unlicensed Philosophy and he also writes on Substack. So I'll pop all that in the show notes and I'll see you next week.